Reverends Scott and Pamela Starbuck, co-pastor at Manitou Presbyterian Church on Spokane South Hill. Since the stay-at-home orders, they've found creative ways to minister to their congregation, which, true to their church's tradition, includes lots of music. Welcome to Faves Forward, a new podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. You guys are a husband-wife duo. How are you guys personally navigating that together right now? Live together, you're working together. <laughs> well, you notice that I'm on the top floor and Pam's on the on the first floor. It, yeah, it's really all consuming when it's all within the home and we're on different schedules and so on. But I think we're bearing up pretty well. Yeah, I'm very grateful for our very closed concept 1925 house because if we had an open concept house it might help some of our wireless issues but it would make us crazy with the four of us four different things at the same time yeah because you have two little ones at home too right yeah yeah not so little anymore yeah and how long have you guys pastored a church together is this your first one yes i i was a interim pastor in California and I did um, my head of staff went on sabbatical and so had a little taste of that but that was like 21 years ago and then we worked in two different churches and then since 04 we have been at Manitou together since 05 I've been on official staff so it's been a while and a learning process and some days are good and some days are hard (laughs) But serving two churches is also hard, so it's just a different kind of hard. And how do your roles differ? Do you do the preaching, and then I think, Pam, you work a lot with families. What are your roles? Well, I'm pastor head of staff. So I have the primary sort of teaching role in the Presbyterian setting. So that's sermons um, and other types of education. Uh, Manitou has a pastor for family ministry, that's Pam, and she also has sort of absorbed um, all of the pastoral care as well. And um, Pam also preaches, um, and Pam teaches on a regular basis, but that's sort of the structure of, that's, that's the official structure. Now, I'm an introvert, Pam is an extrovert, Okay. I would be very easy to replace. Pam would be impossible to replace. Pam is sort of, you know, she's one of those connectors, you know, that brings the whole community together where um, I'm usually at my best when I'm doing a lot of work in here in my study and hopefully trying to um, help people think through their faith and everything. So that's how I would describe it. Yeah. So I, um, I love youth, and I'm determined throughout my whole life. Um, I did a second master's in youth called Youth Church and Culture at Princeton, and I was grateful to be a part of that program that was looking at how postmodernism was affecting the church, um, and I got to be in that first graduating class. And I, um, our primary commitment was to Tegan Ethan at the time when we came here, and then our other children who joined. And so 
um, most of my ordained life, I've been in youth ministry, and middle schools are kids are my favorite, but I also am very aware that um, we are called to be part of larger units. We're never called to live this life alone, and so the family unit and, and studying how the family unit is important for kids and nurturing those family units is important to me as nurturing the kids because of the direct correlation and just how we were created to live and realizing that a lot of youth ministry for a lot of years kind of ignored the role of the family in faith formation as well as just in all things, you know. And so I'm grateful for kind of the the pendulum coming back toward doing youth ministry in the context of the family. Um, and doing that with my kids, I think I've been able to say in front of all four of them, like, you know, well, sometimes you can't stand your parents. Like my daughter sitting in this group right now often doesn't like me when I have to be the bad guy and stuff. So so pastoral care, deacons, and youth and family ministry is what fills my time. Okay. And I want to talk a little bit about what you're doing with the youth here in a minute. But as you're talking, I was just thinking about pastoral care and how difficult that must be, especially right now. Uh, and you're having to do it all over Zoom or through technology. So how are you navigating that? Yeah, well, what I've realized is that a lot of people, um, we are working towards getting some more Zoom groups. And because our church has had a focus on not splitting across generations um, and not isolating people, the way we've done our worship services through Vimeo and Links have tried to make it as easy as possible for people to connect into it with the least amount of um, technological knowledge. And we have been doing like a Zoom youth group for kids and a Zoom parents group for some parents and grandparents. That's our adult education. But I have spent more time on the phone and I've also written a lot more kind of emails with a time and reflection, giving them a chance to respond. I have found that texting is not um, enough connection to most people except maybe setting up a phone call because you don't really get the whole of how people are doing through texting. And so I've spent a lot more time on the phone and just kind of hearing how people are. And our most isolated folks, like who are in lockdown at Touchmark or Rockwood Retirement Communities, I've called their their adult children who I think actually all of them in our church um, live out of town. And I'm grateful that I had those contacts over the years just because they're struggling so much with what to do when their parents aren't having the same human connection that they counted on them having from their retirement communities in this lockdown time. So that's a lot of time on the phone and computer and then trying to kind of keep track of how people are doing and and keep track of the days because, you know, it can feel like I talked to someone last week and then I realized, oh, it's been two weeks because there's just lack of a rhythm of days in this time that you know everyone's talking about. Pam's done a couple things with pastoral care uh, that I thought were great. We drove over to Rockwood Retirement Community and we asked um, one of the residents to go out on her balcony and the four of us waved to her and we left her a gift basket and that, oh it's not much, but that connection there really made a huge difference. Uh, we had another family, an, an older couple, that have no wireless in their house whatsoever. 
And so Pam delivered a tablet that is uh, based on a, um, what, on the phone lines, I guess. And uh, that way the family, if they can figure it out, can actually connect with other people in church and so on. And, um, and I think that depending on how this goes, uh, there'll be other things that we can uh, try to figure out. I, I know I tried right off the bat to use a technology I use for teaching, um, something called Packback. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It works really well keeping a community of students together. I thought, hey, this would be great. We can keep Manitou together with Packback. It was the worst failure you've ever seen in your life, just from the technological side to the delivery side. So I think a, a lot of what's happening now is we know what pastoral care is. We're just not sure how to do it. Um, and one other thing I would say, we recently had someone in the hospital in a very serious, well, we've had several people in the hospital in very serious conditions. And um, it's hard to figure out how do you bring that pastoral touch when it's just not easy. I'm used to being able to walk into a hospital and get just about anywhere that I need to go. And now it's hard to navigate, even if you do it by phone. It's hard if you're going to the nurse's desk and that, that doesn't really work. And if you are able to get to the person's cell phone, is that an intrusion? Um, so we're having to relearn this again. Yeah, they don't really teach this in seminary, do they? Well, they don't <laughs> teach any of it. I mean, maybe they do now, but back in, I was in seminary in the whiteboard, I mean, not the whiteboard, the blackboard days. So, you know. <laughs> One thing that I love the ideas that you guys the things that you guys are doing to reach reach out, getting outside of your your offices to try to really connect with people, and also to make sure that people from your congregation are connected to the other people that, are, that matter to them. Right. It would be too much um, for even someone as energetic as Pam to cover our congregation. It's just not going to happen. And in reality, we pastorally still need to be sort of set aside for the more complicated cases. And, and when I say cases, that's a terrible way of talking about people, but there are, there are issues that make it more difficult on sort of a peer-to-peer -peer basis to, to sort of handle. And so, but that means then from where we are in house, figuring out sort of in a managerial way, how can we equip people to do this? And one of the things that I've noticed, Pam, I don't know if you would agree with me or not, is that I think people are pretty hunkered down. It's, um, I, I don't think we have the mentality yet that we're ready to get into our covered wagons and hit the Oregon Trail to whatever is new. Um, I think a lot of people are sort of just thinking, you know, I'm going to wait this one out because surely tomorrow our lives are going to be the same. And, um, and that has affected, I think, our, our pastoral care. I think people are sort of waiting a little bit. And my sense is that there will be a time when folks realize, no, we need to figure out some different structures because life will be different. It won't be like this all the time, but it will be different. Yeah. I don't know if you picked this up, but one of the things Pam said is that she's been calling the adult children who are yeah. not here in Spokane. And that's awfully important because um, especially with some of our uh, just beloved church members, it might almost be more confusing to have Pam or, or for me to call them. And so making that connection, I think, is really important, too. Yeah, definitely. Connecting to the people they're connected to. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. 
We mm-hmm. have a woman turning 65 um, on June 4th, and her son, her kids live in Vancouver and uh, Bedford, Oregon, and South Dakota. And they moved here. She was a nurse that was trained in the 20s. She's not, she'll be 95. Wow. Um, played Children's Hospital during the war. Uh, so she was called up, pediatric nurse, and they moved here for the health care, even though their kids didn't live here to retire. Now her son. And so I was just so grateful to, that I don't want that day to pass to figure out, like we did for someone else on Easter, um, even though she's in assisted living, she doesn't have a balcony. She's in the same same Rockwood area, but a little less access than the people who have apartments with a balcony that you can call their number and say, can you come out? You know, mm-hmm. but figuring out how to celebrate like others I've seen have, you know, done talk on the concrete outside their parents' rooms and wrote the messages. And so by June 4th, we can figure out something because none of her kids are going to be able to be here on that day. If they fly in, you know, they'll have no more access than us. So, and turning 95 seems to be a pretty worthy day to not miss. <laughs> yeah. an amazing um, She's just a dear soul who I just love, love, love. And loves kids and loved our kids that had tails and nose rings and, you know, when we were doing some outreach weekly, three pizzas on Wednesday night, you know, she would knew them all by name and <laughs> she uh, was just a saint. So I just can't wait to see well, her. And, and so to me, that, what, uh, that sort of dovetails or opens up what is the theological possibility for right now. And I know that there are all sorts of political debates and economic debates, but the people that we've been talking about here are high-risk people with this virus. And, you know, quite frankly, this is the generation that made a place like Manitou Presbyterian Church possible. And so it's sort of uh, the conversation that's sort of out there somewhere where it's worth taking the risk of exposing other people. It's, It's not simply that that's a political dialogue. That itself, I think, I'm looking for ways to reassure those people in our congregation that they have ultimate value and that um, part of unconditional love is is actually doing something. Like um, even if you feel great and you think you're young and you're fine, living for others. And so I mm-hmm. think that that is something that's, that's awfully important that hopefully we'll get out of this. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to look at it. And this woman sounds like someone worth celebrating and worth recognizing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No. I'm ashamed to say I've actually never been to Manitou. I've been by it a hundred times because it's right there in my Spokane neighborhood. But um, what is your church like? What is the congregation like? It sounds like you have a mix of youth and older folks, and I'm guessing everywhere in between. That, that's right. So first of all, just as a building, it's a beautiful, beautiful building and beautiful stained glass windows and one of the nicest organs in town. And and we're very blessed in terms of our staff that we have an exceptional musical staff. We have our musical director also plays with the symphony. We have um, the regular uh, contribution of the Brownleys who run the Rock and Bee Ranch, if you know where that is, you know, in that style of music. And then we actually even have a young composer on staff who's helping us write music uh, for this period of time 
uh, because there's not a lot out there that, that really fits this period of time. But as a congregation, it's an intergenerational congregation. It went uh, 20 years ago. It went through a really bad split. And the group of people that were left were a very, very small nucleus of people. And um, I think, honestly, when I started, I wasn't sure that we had two years in us, you know. But what happened over the life of this congregation is that they just chose a different route, you know, a very non-competitive community engagement, uh, cooperative, um, reflective, I would say taking personal responsibility and even interreligious dialogue route. And that draws people um, from all over Spokane. And a lot of people, when they move here to town, they find that what's happening at this congregation fits with them. But um, we put a huge emphasis on families and children. And what I guess I mean by that is probably the most dominant part of our worship service, Tracy, is the children's message. It really isn't even the sermon. I mean, if you would ask people, what's one thing they could drop each week, it might be the sermon, but they would never drop the children's message. And the reason for that, you know, is I guess we've sort of put this idea that not only let the little children come to me, but unless you become like a child, you won't find the way to enter the kingdom of heaven. And on Sunday morning, we've continued to do this on Zoom, Pam, while she's meeting with children, I meet with parents. And what we do is we start talking through the passages in worship, and we try to think, okay, what are the questions that our children would have about these passages? But even more, what are the ways as parents we're prone to misread these passages? And or what are the real questions that we have? And um, we call it digging deeper, but it's a, it's a wonderful time for parents to find that through dialogue, really, not top-down teaching, they feel more equipped to um, respond to the natural questions that their children will have. And I guess part of that is that our sort of working theology with the Bible is that the Bible isn't simple. It is dialogical. It makes us look at things from many different perspectives and it forces a moral choice. And so that those are some of the things that we're looking at each and every single week in terms of worship and then service at Manitou. I hope that's not too boring, but I think that's sort of what we're about. My experience is that oftentimes the Sunday, the children's sermon is something that the adults can take something from as well. Yeah. 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 But, but normally it sounds like that's something that happens uh, I'm guessing at the beginning of the sermon where everybody, at the beginning of church, everybody can be a part of it and kind of watch. And now you're doing it separately. Is that correct? In your Well, it happens in our order of service. It happens before the sermon. Um, and then the children, um, the children are excused so they don't have to put up with the sermon. But then Pam works with the children on the same content in a dialogical way. But what I really think happens to the children's sermon, because our children are so absolutely engaged in it, they're excited, and it's, again, dialogical. It isn't just sort of, here's my felt stickers, and this was what happens in a story. The dialogue that the children have in their honest questions begins to sort of unearth adult resistance to the heart of the gospel. And our children are really vulnerable up there. And, um, and I love it because 
Pamela and I have been gifted with wonderful relationships with these families and we know the families and it really is something sort of special. Um, it's a neat thing. And that was a new thing for Manitou. That was sort of a neat surprise along the way. And I think, Scott, just to be clear, when you say they're really vulnerable up there, I think we just want to make sure that's clear. You mean they're like honest, vulnerable with their questions that adults won't often ask yes, before that's the service, a, I think is what you mean. That is what I mean. Thanks. That, that's helpful. Um, they're, they're brave to ask the questions that, <laughs> that well, make you embarrassed. They just, <laughs> they're not afraid of not knowing. Right. And most adults, especially adults around the faith, they get embarrassed about that stuff and they shut down. Were you going to say something else before I interrupted you? I going to say, I, and I, I think part of it, because Scott is a PhD and is a incredibly well-trained biblical studies professor, they feel the adults say all the time that the children's message helps give them a framework, kind of a intro cliff notes to what they're going to learn that day that might push them. Um, but they feel less overwhelmed because it's been broken down in the children's message. And they often say, uh, we use images and a PowerPoint of both, you know, it can be the story in the Lego Bible, or it can be uh, sacred art. Um, it can be goofy cartoons. There's Scott usually does a montage of different things to make them force them to think about the text. And, um, and those are just as helpful for the adults. So I think even if for some reason we had rearranged our children's ministry, they would say, well, can the kids come in? <laughs> I mean, we, we, we wouldn't, we don't have that plan at this time, but if there was a time for some reason that kids were say all away at camp, which doesn't happen, they're never gone at the same time, but you know, the kids would, the adults would miss the, the children's message. Um, and it's, it's a substantive time. And we, we spend more time on it than it's probably 15 minutes. So it's a significant connection time to kind of prime our questions before the teaching. So the, the other thing I would just simply add that might be a little bit unique, maybe, I don't know. So as a worship staff, as we're thinking about worship, our musical staff work very, very hard to bring all of the music into a liturgical flow so that there's an engagement around the scriptural text, but that forces or encourages a moral choice in each service. And uh, so none of our musicians are taking stuff off the shelf and they work really, really hard. And then the other thing is that we're just really not that much into performance, but community engagement. And so then it's equipping the community to make their own music and to be able to sing and so on. And so, um, Music is a huge part. So I would say families and music about the same. And then maybe about seventh or eighth is the sermon stuff. Yeah. I'm lucky I have a job there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I was kind of scrolling through your Vimeo page um, and your Facebook page, and I noticed a lot of music. So yeah. that's, I could tell that was something that was central to Manitou. It really is, yeah.
are you finding that people are, are um, connecting with those, those musical clips that you're posting and it's something that people can kind of turn to on their own time? You know? Yeah, so our decision to not live stream, but to upload the way that we are, which is sort of individual units, mm -hmm. was based on a couple factors. One is our services normally run an hour and 15 minutes in when we're not doing social distance, which is a long, it's on the longer side to keep people together in church. But that's an awfully long time to sit in front of a computer. So what we imagined is that people would use those worship elements at discrete times during the week and where they might listen to the children's sermon with their children or they might see it once in the sermon once. Uh, the music they would probably go back to over and over and over again, which is a little bit harder in live streaming, I think. So, yes. And um, what we're seeing is that individuals then can share the musical offerings, for example, on Facebook or with their friends. Um, we, we're also seeing people in our congregation sharing what's happening that's meaningful to them um, with other people on their email lists and so on. But there's really no part of what we're doing that we have in the back of our mind. Oh, here, this is for sort of church growth strategy really each and every week i'm just trying to think through how do we connect with the congregation that we know in meaningful ways and so probably the other thing that you saw in vimeo is that it, we don't redo anything so when we make a mistake it's just like it is in worship and we just put it up there so you know we're not trying to do something that is digitally fantastic here I thought it was so neat to see some of your musicians uh, clearly in their homes performing, but dressed up, you know, as if, it, as if they were mm -hmm. at the symphony or something. Right. I was going to say the two Denica and Johannes Kleiman were the ones in a red dress and a tuxedo. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are both symphony cellists. Uh, Johannes is in the symphony and, Denica is a substitute and teaches, and they're just fabulous. So we're really lucky to have four symphony cellists in our congregation. So we get a lot of beautiful cello. So they uh, have done both, you know, things on Facebook and things in their pajamas. And I think they just thought, you know, it wasn't even for Easter. It was the week after, but it was like, you know what? <laughs> Probably for even just themselves, let's pretend that we're 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 somewhere and we're giving our best. Um, and they're just lovely. Uh, volunteer musicians that share their gifts with us. Um, we also put a as they um, are able. We also put a um, strong emphasis on lay participation in worship, and that's been harder to figure out in this period. Uh, but early on, we made sure that we had lay readers all the way from March to the end of May. That's what we have right now. But during Holy Week, one of our musical people, our choir director. Um, knows how to layer different tracks. And so what she was able to do is to layer the reading within the congregation. So she would actually call up on the phone and have different congregational members read part of the long passages and also prayers and poems that we have done. And that was so powerful because people who are separated all of a sudden could hear the voice of other people that they knew in the congregation. So all of that has, I think, been 
honestly way more uh, connective and maybe meaningful to people than some of the things that we might traditionally think is important. It's helpful for me, quite honestly. It takes the pressure off of me. I'm scrambling each week to figure out what this means, what to say that's meaningful. Uh, you know, I, I, this is real time. It's day by day. And so I feel really supported, say, as the preaching voice with all of the contributions, with what Pam brings in, what our music people bring in, what our lay readers bring in. It's awfully important this time to find those ways to connect us. So, Yeah, that's, that's really great. And I, I noticed that you post kind of the order of worship on your website for, so people yes. can follow along. Are people telling you that they're doing that? Do you think people are kind of going to the website and watching Vimeo? And Yes. Here's the story. <laughs> Here's the story. So we have a couple who um, are in a retirement facility and their younger children had been, who are my age, so that younger, right? So they were trying to get them uh, tech savvy enough to be able to do that. What they finally were able to do is to actually go stand out their window and talk them through on the phone you know, so they could watch the service. And then they watch the service at the same time outside the window of the house on their phone. And actually, um, during our uh, Monday, Thursday service, during the communion music, we had pictures of different people, whether it was setting their table or worshiping in their house. And we had a picture of this, this family doing this. So yes, I mean, um, I'm surprised. Now, are, is everyone doing it at the exact same time, like when we normally have church? I don't think so. I think people will really like having sort of worship on demand, but I'm sure when we can worship together, then the way in which we have to work around our schedules to make that happen will be worth it. Um, but it seems to me like people are doing that. Yes. I'll, that's a long and, yes, isn't it? And just to add to that, I think I've heard some people, especially some of the musical things that um, like there was a beautiful song, Do Not Be Afraid, that was just so lovely a couple of weeks ago. And I know people were playing that over and over again. And because I do the the email prayer chain and people have been in the hospital, I often get replies, not just about the prayer chain, but, oh, thank you for letting us know and blah, blah, blah. I just, you know. Uh, listen to the song for the third time in two days or so I do think people are doing it as a whole and some are breaking it up and doing a little bit at a time to kind of get them through the week or repeating parts that are particularly therapeutic and Ben Brody who's the director of worship at Colbert Presbyterian just wrote a an article about his shifting role which I think has spoke a lot of truth to what we're all feeling and that when, you know, normally corporate worship is based on trying to get a community to come together. And now we are trying to connect people and be words of comfort and hope at this time. And, um, and so it is a different task than, than what it normally is. And we were grateful that we found some recordings that um, our sound guy had, who's awesome, had just recorded a couple of years ago when we had, you know, full brass and trumpets at Easter and we were able to add one of those to Easter so people could hear 
us singing a few years ago and the memories. I think that's so important in this time to remember that this too will pass, even if it's longer than we want it to be. And for me, I keep thinking back about my experience in the third world, about how what we think is so hard. Um, I lived in a village for a month as part of a, a Whitworth Central America study tour, and they live in this, I don't know all the time in so many parts of the two thirds world. They don't, they can't count when they can schedule vacation. So, and I'm just thinking of all the learning that happened for me 30 years ago when I was in college and how Holy Week looked differently when I was there for this semester long study tour. And just, I, I hope that there is growth because I do believe suffering and challenge is what makes us better people and the scripture suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and we can rejoice in hope keeps coming to mind during this process. We do find the best parts of ourselves and the worst parts, perhaps, in our families in these times, but that we can grow as a, as a community, as a neighbors. Yeah, but kind of goes back to what you said earlier, which is you're not meant to be alone, so we need community to right. kind of help us get there, right? Right, right, exactly. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how you're serving the youth specifically right now. Yeah, so I think, you know, because I have this dual role and because luckily none of our families, um, a couple have had some temporary job cuts or cut back in hours for a few weeks and things. You know, we happen to have quite a few intact families, two-parent families mainly, and that hasn't always been true. And so I feel grateful that I was able to focus on our seniors at first and our most isolated because I knew the kids were doing okay with devoted parents. And and my focus went first to some of our medical professionals that could um, cross over and, and uh, like one is a PA and, and as a respiratory therapist who became a PA in pulmonology and he will be going in soon, any day now, to, for the COVID floor, and then we'll be sleeping in the garage. And so what is that like for those families? So kind of the pastoral care needs um, for those who are kind of living in some fear, and it's much more real than it is for those of us who teach in the liberal arts or, or working from our homes. Um, we have done online youth group, and one of our awesome smart techie computer guru elders, she set up a an online called Goose Chase online scavenger hunt that we just tried during youth group, you know, go take a picture of your clean bedroom, <laughs> go take a picture of you, you know, uh, washing your hands for 20 seconds and singing a song, kind of fun youth group things that we might do if we went out with a phone, but what can we do individually, but then they can share them with one another. And so um, at first it seemed like we had actually tried to launch this a couple weeks ago and then the families were just, the feedback was, you know what, I don't think we're really ready for just kind of super happiness. You know, we're kind of in the grieving process. And so we waited until this last Sunday to try and kind of launch some of the more just let's have some fun together as well as learning together. So we're working on the, using the acapella app. Um, we were planning on doing this, this song on May 31st for Pentecost, the birth of the church. Uh, 50 days after Easter, we were planning on doing it live. So now we're trying to prepare it and our musicians are writing parts for 
every kid to have a part. And luckily, because we have a fairly musical church, that means their parents encourage music in their kids. So I think um, maybe all but one will, one may, one out of probably 14 will say, I don't want to do it, <laughs> but 13 of them will be included in that. And, and we hope someday, like when we come back to the church, that we'll get to do it live too, eventually, but writing flute parts and string parts. And it's a group that has a, called the Wren Collective that has a, a real montage of strings and brass and things in this song and beautiful vocals. And so, um, because we try to incorporate our kids as much into the real church, you know, not like they're just the kids that go down in the basement and play. And I mean, our, our adults take our kids seriously. Um, they read scripture every month. The first Sunday of the month is always a youth reader, things like that. They help with the offering. They raise money for things. I mean, so we've worked really, really hard, and it's not always easy to be an intergenerational church. I do think that churches who, um, because of what happened before the split, that was a really important goal. And so I did find in the pastoral care if we had just had lots of little groups within the church and kind of you fit into this group and you fit into this group, it might have been easier to check in on people in the beginning, but, and so now we're, we're trying to kind of work on some of those Zoom meetings that I learned from this really smart woman named Tracy Simmons who helped me through <laughs> those beginnings um, of how to include people who may be willing to try it. That was a conversation with Reverends Pamela and Scott Starbuck talking about youth, music, and technology in the new digital world their church has found itself in. Thanks for listening to Faves Forward, which you can find on our website, SpokaneFaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you appreciate this podcast, please consider supporting us financially. More information is available at FavesMembers.com. That's F-A-V-S Members.com. We'll see you next week.